Well, good morning, Redemption Church. My name is Daniel. I'm a member here, and I'm very thankful to be reading through Scripture today. We are going to be closing out Philippians, and we're going to be starting in chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. God's provision. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and a pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word for us today. If you would, please join me in prayer now for for this passage and this task. God, we approach you intending and hoping to quiet our hearts this morning. Hearts that are so often fluttered and filled with needs, anxieties, cares, and longings. Lord, we pray that you would meet us in these things, even today by the power of your word, that you would prove yourself to be sufficient for the contentment of our hearts. In whatever season we may have, We pray that you would show us these things even now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Ever since becoming a Christian, to be honest, this particular passage of Scripture is one that has been particularly intriguing to me. Uh, There is something about these words that resonates so deeply with my soul. Uh, The thought of being happy because life seems to go so well and everything's just great has always seemed just a bit hollow and fleeting to me. Uh, For some reason, even as a young kid, it just seemed very evident to me that's not how we should expect life to work. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Not to mention, even if it does for a time, there has to be a kind of happiness that runs much deeper. A happiness that is not dependent on a set of circumstances, even encouraging circumstances, or or dependent on the kinds of things that would make even the grumpiest person feel great about their life. 
Most people can be happy when they have plenty of money, plenty of friends, no conflict, fulfilling work, delicious food, and lots of free time. (laughs) Frankly, if I had all of these things all the time, I might not feel much need for faith to begin with. But what about when tragedy strikes? What about when that thing we feared may happen truly does happen? What about when the world rejects us, our friends abandon us, or our basic needs go unmet? What if there was a spiritual source that could sustain our happiness and joy even then? That sounds a lot like the contentment Paul is talking about here in in Philippians 4, and this is how he ends the letter, by calling us to this contentment, contentment even as we face all kinds of suffering down here on earth. In our passage today, Paul reveals the secret even, as he puts it, to being content in any and every circumstance. Just imagine the peace and security that would, that would flood into our lives if we could experience a thing like that. This passage reveals, at first glance, one of Paul's primary practical aims for this letter, which is simply to thank the Philippian church. After having no opportunity to care for Paul's needs for some time, finally the Philippians revived their concern for Paul, and he rejoices in the Lord as a result, in verse 10. Then he tells, us it was very, tells them, it was very kind of you to share in my trouble, in verse 14. In other words, thank you for doing that. He even thanks them for their steadfast support and care that they've shown in the past when he left Macedonia to begin this church in the first place. And then later when he was in Thessalonica, twice apparently they helped him. He says, once and again you you sent for my needs in verse 15 and 16. And then in this case he says, I have received full payment and more. You've been incredibly gracious, right? I'm well supplied, he says, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent in verse 18. So in one sense, Paul and his practical aim here is very clear. He is thanking the Philippian church for their care and concern. But with a bit of a closer look, it seems clear Paul was also concerned that this thank you might be misunderstood in some ways or misunderstood interpreted. And so let me, let me show you what I mean. It could be, for instance, that he was concerned the Philippians would take too much credit for meeting his needs or uh, that they would send him more and more gifts, which he didn't want. In my view, probably both are in view, which is why he quickly says after verse 10 and verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, as in now, right? Don't misunderstand me. I, I really appreciate your gifts. Thank you. But I don't need more and more. It may also be that Paul was concerned the Philippians were happy to meet his physical needs, but missed the underlying spiritual significance of doing this, which is why he describes the gift they sent him as, quote, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, as if to say, well, more than anything else, you guys, that's why your gift matters so much. In serving me, 
in this way, really, you're not just serving me, but, but, but worshiping God even. It may also be that their excessive concern for Paul's physical needs down here was yet another symptom of disregard for their own spiritual need for God above, up there. Which is why Paul gently reminds them at the end, in verse four, in 19 rather, that his God will supply every need of theirs even according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, even though he's the one in prison <laughs> writing the letter. So while Paul is thanking them for their earthly gifts and giving them the credit due as a result, he is also at the same time instructing them about their spiritual need and pointing them to the only one who can meet it regardless of their earthly circumstance, whether they have plenty or whether they're in need. As Paul brings this letter to a close, again, from prison, he wants these Philippians to see that it is God above who provides all we need for contentment below. It is God above who provides all we need for contentment below. Two weeks ago, he called the Philippians to have this heavenly mindset, to think in an upward way. Last week, he called them to pursue a kind of peace that was from above. Well, this week, he wants us to see the key to contentment down here, contentment below. And he tells us exactly what that is in verses 11 to 13. If you look with me, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, he writes, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every and in any and every circumstance. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And church, here it is. Here is that secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You may know this is probably a passage of scripture that is used out of context more than it is used in context. Uh, it is common to see all kinds of Christian merchandise with this verse slapped on top of it. Professional athletes have used it as motivation to work hard and do their best, right? I can do all things like winning this basketball game through Christ who strengthens me. The problem, of course, is that when we use the verse in this way, it takes on virtually the opposite meaning that Paul intended, as in, I can do all these really impressive things down here on earth to exalt myself through Christ, who strengthens me. When in context, in reality, in the vernacular of our sermon series, what Paul is really saying here is that he can do all things down here, namely enduring intense suffering and persecution through him up there who strengthens him. Through the highly exalted King Jesus of chapter 2, if you'll remember, who was exalted precisely because he did not exalt himself. In other words, what Paul needs to be content far more than earthly success, is Christ. And if he has Christ and the promise of resurrected life with him, listen, he may be in jail with no money and little hope, but he wants these Philippians to know 
he'll be just fine. Because as he says, he has learned the secret to contentment. Throughout this passage, Paul uses some specific phrases that are commonly associated with business and accounting. And some scholars have pointed this out. He mentions that the Philippians were one of the only churches to partner with him in giving and receiving, which is sort of an accounting term then as it is today. In verse 17, he qualifies that he doesn't need more gifts by saying, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He phrases this using kind of banking lingo of credit. And then he says next, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. He's kind of talking like a businessman here. These were sort of the business buzzwords of his day, kind of like today we talk about return on investment, right? Or, or building our brand, you know, or monetizing our content online, right? And some scholars wonder if Paul was using this businessy accounting language in sort of a loving but tongue-in-cheek sort of way to almost shine the spotlight on this church's tendency to think in earthly, transactional sort of ways because they were eager to send him money, for instance, but not so eager to suffer, in the same way that he was suffering. They thought they were sending him money might be enough as if their job was done. Paul was thrown in prison. That was bad. We sent him money, which made that better. But they did not feel, as Paul said back in chapter 1, that it had been granted to them that for the sake of Christ, they should not only believe in Christ, but also suffer for his sake. Because they were engaged in the same conflict that Paul was engaged in, they didn't always see it that way. They heard Paul was in dire need. They imagined that Paul would have struggled to be content, and so they sent Epaphroditus, likely with a bag of money, to try and fix that. But here, Paul is saying, guys, listen, I'm, I'm thankful for your earthly gifts. I, I am particularly thankful for their spiritual significance, for their worship offering that they are to God above, but it is so important for you to know your gifts are not the source of my contentment. He is. God is. The exalted King Jesus is. And he's saying, I want you guys to know and to experience that same contentment as well, regardless of what it is you go through. Listen, you've provided me with what my belly needs to be content. I can eat now, and that is a good thing. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. You deserve a kind of credit for that, but it is God above who provides all we need for contentment below. Church, regardless of our circumstances, whether we are in a season of plenty or hunger, the truth is we may not be in prison like Paul, we not, may not face rejection or persecution to the same extent as Paul. We may not have many dire material needs that go regularly unmet even. But if you are a human being, you know what it is to be discontent. To have that nagging, restless sense in your gut that for whatever reason, you are just not okay. What if I never get that thing I so desperately want? 
Well, what if I'm never set free from this pain and suffering I'm faced with now? What if that one fear I've always dreaded finally comes to pass? The question today for us is, is this, even then, even if it did, do we have what we need to be content? By way of application, I want to point us to just two takeaways. First, when we are blessed with plenty or abundance in that circumstance, let's be truly thankful for the gifts we receive down here below. Truly thankful. Uh, these gifts I'm talking about, they may come in the form of life circumstances that just seem to bounce in our favor. Or as the psalmist says, when the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for us. I found a great significant other who loves the Lord, for instance. Our dating relationship went well. We just started what certainly seems to be a long and fruitful marriage. Praise God. Be thankful for that incredible earthly gift. Um, I wasn't quite sure what direction my career would take, but over the last five to ten years, I've made some key moves, and it's really opened the door for what is really now a lot of fulfilling and even uh, lucrative work. Praise God. Be truly thankful for that earthly blessing. Uh, for decades or more, I, I kind of floated around from one church to another feeling dip, deeply dissatisfied. And then I recently found this church and praise God, I've been incredibly encouraged. God's doing all kinds of great things in, in my spiritual life. Praise God for his blessings and gifts. Sometimes God blesses us with entire seasons of life that are marked by abundance and earthly gifts. Or in some cases, like Paul here, these gifts may take the form of simply help from a brother or sister, timely help during an otherwise challenging season, like members of the church, for instance, who are kind enough to share in our troubles. Uh, the past six months or so have been some of the most chaotic, some of the most stretching months in, in the life of our family, I have to say. Uh, mostly chaotic because of all the great stuff that we're so encouraged God is doing in our lives, and yet still very, very demanding and chaotic. We've bought, renovated, and moved into this building. We've traveled to India to adopt our daughter Swara, made that transition, and then we recently just moved ourselves to be closer uh, to the church in the last six months. There's a weight that has certainly been unique to that, but through it all, I can tell you many of you even have been so kind and so gracious to, to even just to help us with our kids when we need to focus on something else, to, to help us move even just last week, uh, to just notice the season we're in and give us an apt word of encouragement. I, I want to thank you guys. I, I want to be grateful in this same way for God's earthly gift to us. It, it's kind of you to share in that weight with us. We thank you. I'm sure many of you have experienced God's kindness and care through your brothers and sisters in Christ as well, whether it is a timely gift, uh, a helping hand, or a, a desperately needed word of encouragement. Whatever the case may be, the question is this, when our earthly needs are met, when by God's grace he sustains us through things like suffering or hardship or trial, what is our spiritual perspective of that earthly provision. More importantly, I might even start by asking, do we have 
a spiritual perspective. In our, in our passage, I, I think we can see on one hand a way to overreact to God's earthly gifts, and on the other hand, a way to underreact. Uh, to overreact, for instance, might look like being far more than just thankful. Uh, to, to the extent that our appreciation for these gifts drifts into the territory of worshiping or glorying in whatever it is we have, whatever it is God has given us here on earth, clinging to whatever advantages we have as if they are the key to our contentment and our peace. Uh, thank you, Philippians, for, for, for what you sent. I really, really needed it. Please send more as soon as you can. I'm in deep and desperate trouble. This is the impression it seems Paul tried to avoid giving the Philippians in, in verses 11 and 18. There's a book here. I'm, I'm going to give us a little bit of a tour of this book uh, th today, um, especially in reviewing this book uh, as a result of preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of why it, this book is easily in the top 10 of my all-time favorite books. Um, it is, it's, it's called a Puritan paperback. It was originally written by a man named Jeremiah Burroughs in the 1600s, and it is called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And speaking on some of these very dynamics of, of our thankfulness for earthly gifts without worshiping earthly gifts. Here's what Jeremiah Burroughs says. You can follow along on the screen. He says, you can never truly understand contentment until you can say of yourself that you are both the most content and the most unsatisfied person in the world. You may be wondering, how is that possible? A person who has mastered the art of contentment is the most satisfied with any situation they find themselves in no matter how humble. Even if they only have a crust of bread and a glass of water, they can be content with God's provision. However, and here's the key, if God were to give them kingdoms and empires to rule, they would still not be satisfied by them. Here lies the mystery. Even though this heart is so large that the joys of the entire world and 10,000 more could not fill it, he still has a heart that is content with whatever God provides, even if it's just bread and water. It takes a special kind of skill and understanding to reconcile these two realities, he writes. Though he is content with God's blessings in life, those things that satisfy other people will not satisfy him. Do you see this in our passage today? Of course, we can be satisfied in seasons of abundance and plenty, that's not hard to understand. Uh, if you have basically everything you feel you need, there's little need, there's little excuse to be dissatisfied. But what would it look like for us to be thankful for all these earthly gifts we have and yet not satisfied by them? Thankful, but not content or satisfied. Notice, Paul has learned the secret to contentment in, quote, any and every circumstance, that is both the lowly circumstances of hunger and need and the lofty circumstances of abundance and plenty. Don't miss this. The strength of God above is the secret to contentment in both. It's not just that we rely on God's strength to endure the seasons of want and need and then we sort of manage things on our own in seasons of plenty. No, we need God's strength to make our hearts truly content, even 
in seasons of plenty. And so here's the point. Maybe God has given you kingdoms and empires to rule over. Maybe he has lavished you with all kinds of blessings and provisions down here. That's great. Be thankful for those things, but don't be satisfied. Even the greatest of earthly gifts will never bring our hearts this kind of contentment. Christ says, for for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For our souls to be satisfied with this kind of contentment from above, they must be satisfied by Christ and Christ alone, whatever gifts we may or may not have. We don't want to overreact to these seasons of abundance of plenty by worshiping as if we have all the joys of heaven down here apart from God, but to underreact, for instance, is also a danger. Uh, To underreact might look like acknowledging some of these things and then quickly just moving on to whatever it is that's next without any gratitude, with very little care, or even an awareness that it is God above who provides. Uh, It it is so possible for us to segment our lives in such a way it it almost works as though we have two of them. We have our earthly life, which involves the practical things like our relationships and friends and family, the vocation, the career that we spend most of our time doing, the buying and furnishing of a home, for instance. Then we have our spiritual lives, which involve things like going to church, reading our Bibles, participating in small group, sharing the gospel, maybe serving on a team. But we rarely consider the spiritual significance of our earthly needs. The two rarely overlap. This may be why we are often discontent even in seasons of abundance and plenty because we are looking for contentment in our abundance and plenty rather than thanking God for his richness and provision and then looking to him for contentment. Without even considering, let alone the the upward resurrected life we share in King Jesus, when our hearts are weighed down by anxiety or grief, I think it's just it's good and it's right for us to even begin by considering, can we breathe? Can we see? Can we taste and smell and hear? Can we move, walk, run? Do we have food to eat? Do we have interests to pursue? Do we have a home to live in, in some cases even, even a beautiful home? Can we enjoy time with friends or family? Church, if we have any of these things, we have all of them because of the incredible kindness of God above. It is so important for us to see it that way, to thank God accordingly for all of the earthly gifts he's given us. But more importantly, in this highly exalted King Jesus, God has provided us all that we need to be truly content no matter what gifts we do or do not have. And that may need to change the way we think, our perspective on these earthly gifts. We cannot let them rise above to the place that he has as if they can make us content and yet at the same time with our eyes fixed on him, we should be truly thankful for them. Ready to acknowledge fully that even these gifts have come from above. Okay, this is Seasons of Plenty. Next, 
even when we're faced with hunger or need. Number two, let's find true contentment in the strength of God above. Now, obviously here, the bigger question, the one the Philippians were struggling with is how to respond when earthly circumstances surrounding us are actually quite dire, and particularly when they're dire as a result of following Christ. When we're rejected or ridiculed because of what we believe, for example, or when relational or health struggles weigh us down in our spiritual life, or when we're just trying to live a faithful God-honoring life, and it seems that every turn, all we come up against is one barrier after another. Work is constantly stressful. Money's usually tight. We can't find the spouse. We can't start the family. Or even as a church, when things seem to change so fast, and we struggle to stay connected, And to feel settled in what seems like a different church even than the one we joined. When earthly pressures like these bear down on us, where do we look for contentment? Uh, When discussing the mystery of contentment in this book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs writes this. He says, a godly man finds contentment by being open and honest with God. Other people may be discontented, but how do they help themselves? By lashing out or using foul language. When someone wrongs them, they have no other way to express their anger than by being abusive and speaking harshly. But when a godly man is wronged, how does he relieve himself? He is aware of his struggles, just like you, but he turns to God in prayer. He opens his heart to God and shares his worries and fears, and then he can come away with a joyful countenance. Do you find that you can come away from prayer without looking sad? What a question that is. (laughs) Does the God we pray to really satisfy us that much? That when we pray to him, even in earthly agony, we can walk away from that prayer Content. Maybe not looking happy-go-lucky, that's fine, but also not just looking sad, looking sustained, carried along. Church, we may not have something we really, really want, and that may even understandably cause us all kinds of pain and sorrow in our life. It, It really may. And I think it's worth just saying that is a real experience, not just something we need to paint over, but God's own son was made low so that our sins can be forgiven. He came down from heaven. He obeyed the will of his father even to the point of death, and he was then highly exalted so that someday all of creation would bow before him. Now, in light of all that, Just consider, even in your suffering and your pain, do you have what you need to be content? Few questions are more important to the spiritual health of our lives than this one. What do we think we really need? Young people will say, in your 20s and under, including those of you in high school, middle school, 
I want to say, this is more important than finishing your education. I hope I, I, hope I just got your attention, right? Th this is more important than who you marry. This is more important than how long you live. If you go about life assuming you really need this long list of things, the, the approval of everyone you know, all the money you need to buy the stuff that you want, the status to turn everybody's head as soon as you walk in the room, hear me out. You will never be content. Even if you get all of those things in abundance. Meanwhile, if you settle in your mind and your heart, even today, that all you truly need is Christ, you can be truly content whether you have a single friend or dollar to your name. The truth is the more earthly gifts we think we need, the less spiritual contentment we should expect to experience. The more earthly gifts we think we need, the less willing we will be to suffer the loss of those earthly things for the sake of Christ. This world will have it a different way. They would tell us that what is it really basically that you want? Dream big and you could have it all. Wouldn't it be great if you did? God here is pointing us down a very different path. He is calling us to try and need as little as possible down here and to rely instead on him, the maker and sustainer of it all. That is the way of true contentment. Burroughs says this, one more quote from him. He says, a carnal heart knows no way to be contented other than this. I have what I have, but if I had more, then I would be content. Perhaps I have lost my possessions, and if I could only have something to make up for my loss, then I would be content. But contentment does not come that way, he says. It doesn't come from getting more of what you want, but from reducing your desires. It's all the same to a Christian, whether I get what I want or reduce my desires to what I have. Did you ever think of pursuing happiness in that way in your life? by trying to need less to make you happy. I'm convinced this is even why we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can be truly content, both in abundance and in need, if our souls have been conditioned to need hardly anything but Christ and the hope of his resurrection. If our souls are conditioned to need hardly anything but Christ, then we can suffer even the most grueling of earthly losses with contentment in our hearts because no matter what it is that we lose, we never really needed it to begin with. We have already counted it as loss, in Paul's words, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ our Lord. Listen, what would it look like for you to gaze into your spouse's eyes to tell them, honey, I love you so much. I am so, so grateful for you. But I don't need you in this way. Does that sound romantic to us? <laughs> it really should. 
It really should. Listen, that may be the most intimate belief we could ever share in marriage. It really may. That may be the thing that fosters and cultivates a kind of intimacy in our marriage. Frankly, that won't suffocate us if we lose a spouse someday. We should want our spouse to be able to say that to us in all faith and all clarity. Could it be that we are perpetually discontent because our list of needs is far too long? Could it be that our hearts would soar to new heights if we just whittled that list down to Christ and Christ alone? What needs could we stand to let go of today and then cling instead to the strength of God above? Rest instead in the power of Christ's resurrection. Church, this contentment is a profound thing. It is a spiritual thing. It is a mysterious thing. But where this contentment comes from is no mystery at all. We can endure great suffering and enjoy great pleasure. We can be adored and respected and also rejected and despised. We can do all these things down here on earth through Christ above who strengthens us. And really, we have this meal given to us by Christ as a way to remember and to remind us of this very truth. Uh, that in the same way that he was made low, in the same way he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, we can be humbled, we can be obedient to God, even to the point of death here on earth, and we still have in him all that we need to be content. Church, what we are walking this aisle to come forward and take today, what this symbolizes is all that we need to be content the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ.